following program is paid for by the Cadillac Foundation. It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. And on today's program, a wide-ranging discussion on some key public health issues just in time for summer. We will hear from multiple guests at the Benton Franklin Health District on topics such as summer travel and avoiding illness during this time, how to handle smoky conditions should they come due to wildfires, summer safety on the water, including how to recognize toxic algae should it present on our waterways. A very busy program, so let's get started, and we begin with Heather Hill, the Deputy to the Health Officer at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, why don't we begin with summer travel, and I understand the post-COVID season makes for a busy summer season, shaping up to be a very busy travel season this summer. I think it's important, especially with the number of people doing international travel, to consider several things. Immunizations, are you up to date? Are you up to date with the recommendeds? But more important, are you up to date and are you getting what you need for the country that you're going to? Um, there are a lot of specialty vaccines depending on the part of the world you're going to, such as typhoid, yellow fever, Japanese encephalitis, that you need to consider to keep you safe while you're there and to prevent from bringing something back when you return stateside. Another thing people need to consider, if you're going to a country where there's malaria, where there's mosquitoes that carry malaria, you need to consider malaria precautions. Again, so you don't ruin your wonderful vacation by coming down with what can be a pretty uncomfortable illness if you were to catch this. Um, A topic we don't always talk about, but diarrheal illness. Traveler's diarrhea certainly happens, especially with international travel, And it's a good idea to talk to your provider about getting an antibiotic to take with you just in case your diarrhea is so bad that it's bloody, it's mucousy, and you really do need to take something to to get over that. But one of the things that I find majority of people forget to consider when they're traveling internationally is insurance. We think about our trip interruption insurance, baggage loss insurance, but oftentimes people forget about their own health insurance. The assumption is, well, I'm fully covered here in America. That should take care of me, and actually it doesn't. Majority of times your health insurance does not cover you when you're in foreign travel. That could include even our neighbors of Canada and Mexico. So please check with your insurance company to see what kind of coverage you have while you're out of the country. And we do recommend that people go ahead and get some of that that emergency health insurance. There's a lot of really good sites that you can go to to um, look at various packages. And I have found them actually to be quite affordable. And it's a peace of mind of knowing if you trip on that sidewalk and break your ankle, you have coverage that you can be taken care of medically in the country where you're at. Or if something very horrendous happens and you need to be medevaced, say, back stateside, that can cost between $30,000 and $180,000 to get transported back. And insurance, if you look at your policy and what you're buying, does cover that as well. We also encourage people to think about registering with the U.S. Department of State through their Smart Traveler program. 
And that's a real good idea so that if you were to get into some kind of trouble when you're in the other country, it could be maybe a legal problem. Any number of things can happen if there's unrest that suddenly happens in that country. The U.S. State Department knows you're there and can help get you back stateside as soon as possible. And then never forget your own little mini travel kit that should include your over-the-counter meds you usually take, but particularly pay attention to your prescription meds and make sure you have enough for your trip and a few extra in case you're delayed. And then keep your health information handy. Should you end up at a medical provider in another country, you may not really remember to list off all the medications you're on or all your health conditions that you have. But I always recommend keeping just a small list. Tuck it in maybe in the pouch that you keep your passport in, someplace handy that you're going to have with you in case you um, do need medical attention out of country. So for domestic travel, I'm guessing obviously not the the international concerns but obviously if people are heading to the beach or going to california or wherever on either by air or by car obviously you want to plan ahead and make sure you're prepared for that too right and consider again all those vaccines that we usually take on an annual basis we know that people are still traveling and catching covid during their travel or we'll get back into flu season. We always encourage travelers, especially if they're going to be in tight quarters, such as airplanes, to get your vaccines on board. And then cruise ships. It isn't uncommon for us to see outbreaks of norovirus on cruise ships, whether they're domestic or international cruises. When you get people traveling together in tight places, you can spread a lot of disease. So wash your hands, keep your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth. All those safety tips certainly um, are recommended, even for domestic travel. Maybe just a quick question. We haven't touched on the topic uh, in quite a while, but what is the COVID status right now? Well, fortunately, COVID data is pretty low right now, but we do know that it is still out there. We do hear anecdotal reports of people, again, taking travel, particularly on airplanes, coming back and going, oh, my goodness. I tested and I did come down with COVID. So the good news is really low rates of COVID. Bad news is, yeah, it's still here and you can still catch it. So if you're starting to have symptoms that you think might be COVID, good idea to use one of those home tests, isolate, stay home, make sure you're not passing it on to others. So maybe a bottom line 30-second message for people wanting to travel this summer, uh, maybe the top two or three points. Um, Just be smart about your travel, Uh, get your vaccines, keep your family as safe and healthy as possible with hand washing, you know, wear your sunscreen at the beach, do protect your skin, watch out for bugs, use your bug spray, and uh, keep those mosquitoes at bay. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District kicking off our program, focusing on some important summertime health safety topics as we get ready to enjoy another summertime here in the Tri-Cities. Back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Foundations at Cadillac. And on this program, we are focusing on some 
very timely public health topic as we kick off the summer season here in our community. And if you were around the Tri-Cities area last week, you no doubt experienced some sort of smoke inhalation due to some wildfires. And those wildfires seem to be burning, at least uh, at one point in time, all around the Tri-Cities area, to the west, to the south, to the north, and to the east. And so we wanted to bring Sierra Knutson on to our program. She's with the Health District, uh, serving as Investigations Planning and Preparedness Manager, and she has a ton of expertise in this area. And maybe, Sierra, initially, if you could, are you up to date on where the latest, I think there are still some fires in our area burning, are there not? Yes, we've had most of them put out um, the last week or so. I know a lot of folks saw kind of the air tankers were coming in with the water. That has made a huge difference. But we're still continually seeing fires kind of cropping up. Um, It's a really huge issue this summer. We're really saying calling for a really high um, risk summer as far as fires go, which is also a good time to remind folks of be very aware of, you know, the burning vents in your area. And if you do have um, instances where you're burning, being very careful about the environment where you're having a fire at. So you touched on, interesting, you brought up the, the term these tankers, and I think people uh, that were watching and paying attention last week when these fires were erupting uh, during the middle of the week noticed some, some of these tankers uh, being utilized. Is that, is that something that we haven't seen in the past? It just, I don't recall seeing them so, uh, so prevalent. No, historically we have not. Um, we have kind of a process where if we have a fire locally, you know, the local districts will get called out. They might call for mutual aid. And based on kind of the size and how aggressive the fire is, um, but really what we're seeing, particularly in the last year or two, is that um, fires are going to what we call type 3. So we're calling in an incident management team from the state level, which pulls in a lot of extra resources. And the cities and the state government are being much more mindful that the um, airplanes are much more effective at fighting, you know, versus, you know, 20, 30 people on the ground. They can come in and really take care of a fire really rapidly. So it's a good thing to see. You know, it can be expensive, but the way we view it is it's a good, you know, it's a good buy for the dollar we're spending. I would think so, and, and it's. I noticed some that were picking up water out of the rivers, but there all there was also some some aerial support with retardant as well, right? Yep, that's true. I was hearing a lot of folks on the ground say somebody's barn is now pink, and that's a good indicator that they were using retardant. <laughs> so let's shift a little bit. Obviously, uh, you know we're in mid June, and the summer officially has just started, and we've already, as as we experienced last week, we've already seen some pretty significant fire. Why is is it just because of a wet spring that there's a lot of vegetation out there that's right makes right fire conditions moving forward? Well absolutely. When we have a really good, you know, spring with a lot of rain, um, that unfortunately creates a lot of uh, material that can actually burn really well. You know, we're also just seeing um, increased summers that are drier and longer and they get a lot hotter. So those are all kind of building into it just creates a lot of opportunity for fires to happen. And so you know, that's why you see even stuff coming out with, you know, Fourth of July firework bans is that we're just noticing that there's a lot more risk. So we have to be much more mindful because of the way our environment has changed a bit. And is it a case of not just the concern of, of large-scale wildfire that's going to burn brush or, or vegetation or, or, you know, potentially dry land weed and those kinds of things in the fields, but just in and around homes in our neighborhoods, uh, you know, with the as trees dry out and things of that nature, are those things we definitely also need to pay attention to? Oh, absolutely. You know, the Red Cross is reporting that we are seeing, you know, 40, 50 percent increase 
in terms of, you know, need from families who are experiencing, you know, home fires, you know, multi-resident fires. And it can just be somebody dropping, you know, a cigarette accidentally in a flower pot or, you know, right in the bark by their door. Uh, you know, it's it happens in all areas. And so we have to be mindful across the board of really reducing the ways that fires can start. And is that something, again, I know it seems commonsensical, but are you know, some of these issues where, you know, if you have your home, making sure that the, the trees are cut back away from your home and maybe there's some fire if, if you're near a, a field, a vacant field nearby, to make sure there is some fire break between you and, and that dry grass? Oh, absolutely. You know, we really encourage people, particularly who are maybe in a more rural setting, you know, but even, you know, downtown city areas to really create that green zone, which is, you know, kind of pushing trees out a little bit farther. Um, you see a lot of those evergreen bushes that are pushed right up against people's houses. Um, those, you know, the fire department often say those goes up like tinder because they're so dry and there's so much fuel at the base of them. So my husband and I are very careful about making sure that they're back two or three feet from the house, um, making sure that there's not debris around the base of the house. Um, you're really taking every opportunity to make sure that the fuel that a fire is going to use is as far away from your house as possible. Let's shift a little bit uh, on the fire Im- impacts uh, to air quality. And, and I know last week, the air quality was impacted uh, significantly. But, you know, I can recall some of these months of August where we have spent weeks uh, throughout the months of August where that haze has just lingered here. Um, what where, what are the air quality pointers that we all need to keep in mind? Some really good kind of preparedness, kind of getting ready. Now, ready. Now's a good time this time of year instead of waiting till August. Um, you know, really working towards making sure that you've got good, you know, air filtration in your home. If you have an HVAC system that's kind of built into the house, you want a MERV-13 or higher filter. And the reason that's the case is because it's a much finer uh, mesh, which means it's able to trap and collect that really fine particulate of the smoke. Um, If you don't have an HVAC system, you can do a very handy uh, box fan and a MERV filter just taped to that. It's really effective in your living room, you know, in your bedroom. Um, you know, the big thing, too, is don't add extra pollution when you're inside. And it's, you know, the weather's the air quality is really poor outside. You know, that means, you know, not burning candles. You know, definitely don't smoke inside. Um, you know, if you're running a gas stove, you know, use it as limited time as possible. And, you know, if folks are having a really hard time, they can always create a clean room. Uh, you know, basic principle is sealing all the windows. You know, you might use duct tape. You might use whatever tape you've got in the house. Uh, you definitely want to, you know, create seals where anything might leak in from outside. And if you need to, you can even use, you know, painter's cloth to kind of tape off a door if necessary and then run that MERV filter or that HEPA filter. And and you've seen, I mean, that's you'd recommend that, I guess, when we've seen the worst of the worst here in our community and mostly, again, as we touched on in August when it's been even drier. You know, it certainly depends on the family's needs of the household, you know, individuals who are over 65, you know, people who have very young children or babies. Um, if individuals you know, have lung and heart diseases or respiratory illnesses, they're going to probably need that higher level of care probably sooner, whereas individuals like me who don't have very many risk factors, I might be okay up until like a, you know, number 150, which is an unhealthy range. So it's really kind of dependent on what the family and the individual need is. But, you know, you can always always increase your filtration, you know, your uh, protective measures, you know, as soon as you feel you need to. There's no hard set rule. It's really what's comfortable for the people who you know, are being ap- impacted by it. And you mentioned some of these at-risk groups, the, the elderly and, and younger populations, and then those who have respiratory challenges. Um, 
how do they, uh, probably an obvious question, but other than starting to cough, is there any other symptoms that people need to uh, take note of? You know, it can be kind of a constellation depending on the person. It can be burning eyes, coughing. I get a lot of throat and nose irritation myself. Um, I've got a colleague that goes straight to like migraine headaches. It can be wheezing and shortness of breath. Um, I know that when my dog has been out a lot, his eyes get really runny. Um, it really just kind of depends on what's consistent. But you'll notice that the worse the air quality is, the more acute the symptoms will become and more of them will happen. And you brought up uh, pets. Maybe a address the same, the same concerns that we should be having uh, with our pets? No, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, you know, same thing for them, monitoring the outside air, particularly if they're going to be outside like in the dog kennel all day. When I leave for work in the morning, I definitely check the air quality so that I go, oh, it's going to be pretty bad most of the day. They come inside in the inside kennel. Um, you know, they also have a HEPA filter in the house, but if it's really bad when they're inside with us, they're in that clean room as well. Um, and just being mindful of reducing their overall time outside that you possibly can. I know that's not always possible for livestock, but whenever op- you have the opportunity to, that's important. Maybe just a minute or so to wrap this all up from from your view uh, with all of these related to wildfires, certainly, uh, you know, our area. We're ripe for it, and as the temperature gets hotter, uh, maybe just a takeaway message for folks listening tonight. Absolutely. Number one thing is monitor air quality. You can find that at uh, airnow.gov. You can also find it on your app on your phone. Know your own personal risks. You know, what is more likely to impact your health. Uh, 65 babies, you know, be prepared to have your extra filtration in your home now. Get that ready. Don't wait until August. And then definitely if you have, you know, inhalation, rescue meds, you know, uh, refill those now. Don't wait because it's important to stay on top of that as well. And again, maybe for for the home preparedness, uh, to obviously Fourth of July holiday is not far away, and and just to to aid, provide some assistance to our firefighters. What do we need to keep in mind? Oh, definitely. You know, don't be fired lighting off fireworks. You know, near dry bush. You know, try not to stick it in your neighbor's yard or their roof. Um, you know, being very mindful of how big and tall they get, you know, realizing that if it's a really large, you know, tall uh, firework, then maybe, you know, don't put that in the middle of your neighbor's wheat field. Um, being really mindful, too, that you have, you know, water on hand to address it if something does get out of hand, whether it's buckets, a hose, a fire, you know, um, a canister, you know, those are really important as well. Very timely and important information from Sierra Knutson with the Benton Franklin Health District. We'll back with the second half of Cadillac on Call in just a moment. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call presented by the Foundations at Cadillac and on today's program. We are getting everyone ready for the safety season of the summertime so that we can have a great time enjoying the weather, enjoying the waterways, and enjoying the recreation that's available in our area, but doing so safely. And so we've had a public health focus in this arena, and we're going to shift now to drowning prevention and water safety, and especially as it pertains to our children. And who better to do that with 
than Daphne Gallegos, who's a public health educator focusing on childhood injury and violence prevention. And Daphne, maybe just an initial comment. Obviously, uh, the waters, the rivers, I'm guessing, are, are still flowing pretty rapidly, and especially as it pertains to our children. Maybe a couple of quick uh, opening comments about what we all need to be aware of when our kids are around the water. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. Um, as Jim mentioned, I'm Daphne, the Childhood Injury and Violence Prevention Public Health Educator at Benton Franklin Health District. Um, and I think it's really important to talk about drowning prevention because drowning is actually a leading cause of death for children. Um, so, for example, between um, the ages of 1 and 14, drowning is actually the second leading cause of unintentional injury and death. Um, it's also the third leading cause among children ages 15 to 19. And there are, of course, some differences in incidents across demographics. So, for example, we know that the natural water fatal drowning rate is more than four times higher for boys compared to girls. And, you know, why, why is that? Um, Native American and Alaskan Native children have the highest rates of fatal open water drowning followed by black children. Um, and drowning remains a leading cause of death for children with autism and accounts for approximately 90% of deaths associated with um, elopement or what we know as just wandering by those age um, 14 and younger. So um, I really want to drive home that understanding the different types of drowning prevention is also essential. Because we live in eastern Washington, we, you know, there are kind of pros and cons, right? We both learn a lot about river safety and children are more familiar with river etiquette, if you will. But what's unique about summer is that families are traveling, right? They're going to the Oregon coast. They're traveling to the Hawaiian Islands, to Mexico, to Lake Tahoe. And these are contexts that children living primarily in eastern Washington may not be as familiar or comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And prevention looks very different in each um, water environment. And so like you mentioned, um, rivers are, rivers are, are you know, flowing, flowing fast and, and hard maybe in some areas of the state, but um, then, you know, so go to the ocean, it's a whole different ball game. And so um, I really wanted to highlight um, a few um, tips to help prevent open water and boating-related uh, childhood deaths and injuries. Um, and so the, the first one is, you know, kind of intuitive. We want to ensure that your child is always wearing a U.S. Coast Guard-approved life jacket at all times in or around open water um, even before you um, before you unload, you know the, the car. If you're if you're out having a a fun river day, make sure that they have those life jackets on because it's something that um, parents can can forget pretty easily. And remember also that adult sized life jackets may not work for children, right? Um, it, they might not be doing what what we want them to do if they're loose fitting. Um, I also want to want to highlight that. Floaties um, or inner tubes or water mattresses um, or any other floaties, right, that we, that we like to play with in the water. These toys are not substitutes um, for life jackets, right? They're for playing purposes only, um, and they won't substitute for a life jacket, especially um, when we're talking about, um, you know, rapid rivers or... Um, ocean waters, et cetera. And life, and life jackets have to be a priority for parents with their kids. And I know that, sadly, is not always the case. 
And, you know, even if the parents aren't modeling that they're wearing them, their kids should imperative that they wear them. Is the other issue, in addition to that, uh, the other issue, attention to the children, whether it's out on the river in a boat, but it could be at your neighborhood or backyard pool. That is a great point, Jim, and I'm glad that you brought that up. That's actually my next um, little bullet that I have here. Um, Always supervise. Something that um, we have found to be really effective, both anecdotally at the health district and in literature, um, it shows that when you um, kind of have a designated what we call a water watcher, um, which is an adult or a guardian, um, that, you know, takes turns every 15 minutes, um, you know, no phones. They devote their attention to the kids playing um, in the pool, around the pool, around the river, any, any body of water, really. Um, this is known to severely reduce um, the incidence of, of both injury and death because, yeah, supervision is one of the, one of the best ways to, to, to prevent um, any tragedies from happening. One other topic is you back to the water safety part on, on the swimming and being familiar with your, your surroundings. I know as you touched on with the rivers and their rapid currents right now and the temperature is still very cold, certainly people need to be conscious of that. But you touched on, hey, if you go to the beach and you want to go out and go swim in the waves, there's also those kinds of concerns. And you may not be aware of those, but, but those things can be extremely dangerous. Absolutely, and that's where we see um, that's where we see a lot of difficulty, right? So if, if you if you didn't grow up near the ocean, um, or even people who grew up near the ocean, right? You just they know to never never turn your never turn your back on the ocean. Um, but especially for for kiddos that might not be familiar with that um, environment, it poses a unique risk. Um, I would just so, yeah. That's that's really an interesting perspective because I think, you know, obviously people are, it's it's just the common sense things to do in our environment here in the Tri-Cities area, but it's the same that we need to go if we go traveling in some of these other areas, as you touched on. Maybe just, uh, we have a minute or so left, but I would like you to just, you've, you've touched a lot of ground, but if there were two or three real key things relative to our kids and being around the water, what what is your advice as a public health educator? Absolutely. Supervision's number one. Lifeguard, or not, sorry, not lifeguard, life jackets are number two. And then knowing the sound, the, the sounds and the signs of actual drowning, right? Because you have time to, um, save, save the kiddo. Um, we practice what is known as reach or throw, don't go. So you either reach with, uh, something long, like a fishing pole, a rake, a canoe paddle, a boat or a stick or you throw something that they're able to hold on to, like a kickboard, um, an empty picnic cooler, a life jacket, a ring buoy, a water jug, a basketball even, um, something that they're able to hold on to and um, Im- immediately call 911 and um, yell for help. It's kind of hard because movies do not depict drowning correctly, and so um, knowing what actually happens is key to um, saving lives. And on that topic, you touched on knowing the, the, the signs of drowning. Uh, one of them I know, especially around, like, swimming pools, is it just the silence. 
Right. Yep, that is that is a bullet that I have here. It's, children can't actually yell for help when they're drowning, especially when we go into cold water shock, which is one of the leading causes of drowning. Um, water's cold, and you have that initial gasp of air when your body hits the cold water, and that combined with not having a life jacket or maybe not knowing how to swim in, in that environment um, is a sure recipe for disaster. Daphne Gallego is a public health educator with the Benton Franklin Health District, focusing on child safety. Thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate your knowledge. Very sound advice and very timely advice for all of us as we certainly want to be out enjoying the water and enjoying the recreation, but doing it so safely. Back with our remaining minutes of Cadillac on Call in just a minute. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Foundations at Cadillac, and we are focusing on some important summer health safety topics, and we're going to stay in the water and talk a little bit about a topic called toxic algae that can be harmful not only to humans, but also pets as well, and we'll get into that a little more detail in a moment, but our next guest is Jim Coleman, who is a climate effects specialist with the Health District. And Jim, before we get into the, that topic at hand on the toxic algae, uh, share with us a little bit about what your role is as a climate effects specialist with the Health District. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, the climate effects specialist position was a, is a newly created position uh, here at the Health District, and it's... Um, it's created to help people cope with health effects brought on by things like extreme temperatures, dry conditions that cause wildfire, um, and and uh, some new conditions that we're seeing is uh, an increase in har- harmful algal blooms, which is what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into the, the algae uh, commentary, I, I would have to, I know one of the issues that we've talked about with our community health needs assessment that we do as a community in the Tri-Cities is on the issue of homelessness. And I know it seems to be a real pressing problem by all accounts from all of the folks in the uh, across the health per, uh, per spectrum of the Tri-Cities. So when it gets to be 105 degrees for a week straight, um, obviously that's a population that's vulnerable. But, but those are those the kind of things that you're evaluating and making recommendations for? Absolutely. Uh, Sierra, who I think you interviewed earlier, is our emergency management coordinator, and she works with me to provide cooling spaces for people that are homeless that um, are exposed to extreme temperatures like extreme heat and also cold weathers. And um, we are trying to provide facilities for people to cope with those extreme temperatures uh, we also have programs or will will initiate programs to um, to give away some uh, fans to be used in people's homes and also to filter out um, harmful smoke created by wildfire fires. But we are working on the cooling centers thing, and we are uh, we're in the process of uh, putting out a list of of facilities where people can go. Uh, if they need to shelter someplace cool. Well, that's good to know that that service uh, is there for especially our most vulnerable populations. Let's let's zero in on this topic of toxic algae. Maybe just an opening comment of 
of what is it, and obviously I'm guessing our rivers are, are at most at risk, and, and, and who's who's at risk, and, and what do we need to be aware of? Sure. Uh, so algae is a common organism that you'll find in aquatic environments. They are tiny plant-like organisms, and they provide... Um, <laughs> A very, uh, they're an important part of our aquatic environment in that they provide the basis for a food chain. Like I say, they do, um, they, they do perform photosynthesis much like plants do. So they're producing ox- oxygen. They're taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and produce, producing oxygen. So they, 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 uh, they fill a very important need in our environment, but when conditions are just right, when there are abundant nutrients, uh, when the temperatures get high, uh, drought-like conditions, so water stagnates, then the population can explode very rapidly, and um, the uh, the algae grow very rapidly, and they produce uh, basically overpopulate and produce what we call an algal bloom. And I think some of you people or some some of the audience will probably be familiar with visiting a lake or a pond, which was extremely green, and um, that is essentially what is an algal bloom. But we're finding out that um, there are different types of ways that, that algae, algae grow, and not all, not all of them form a very prominent bloom. Uh, when one area where we do see significant blooms in our area is Scutney Reservoir, that is west of Connell. And if you go up there in certain times of the year, you will see kind of pea green water, and the, that's an algal bloom. And we do test the water up there to make sure that there aren't harmful toxins produced by the algae. And so we... some of the algae, not all the algae, uh-huh. will produce a toxin. And some of the toxins, if the level gets high enough, can be harmful to animals and humans. And um, in the Columbia, we have a nice, pristine, clear water there and don't often see these algal blooms. Uh, But surprisingly enough, a couple years ago, there were some dogs that were in the water, in the river near Richland, ingested some water, and then very rapidly died. Hmm. And it was later determined that they ingested some algal tox, some algae toxins, and yet there was no obvious bloom in the water. So this was something kind of new to us, something we hadn't seen before. And we did test the water, and we did find algae toxins there. So uh, we have instances where there can be algae present, but it's not obvious. So uh, we implemented a testing program along the Columbia River, and we're testing 12 sites along the Columbia River for algae toxins throughout the summer months and into the fall. It doesn't appear to be much of a problem until late summer and early fall, but like I say, we're testing the water a couple of times a month just to make sure that the algae toxins aren't present because it's not always obvious that there's an algal bloom going on. So the proactive testing, I'm sure, obviously is is extremely comforting and to all of us to give us peace of mind. And yes, should and, there, and, and in, thanks to some funding from the State Department of Health and EPA, we can now test for toxins at our Kennewick at our Kennewick lab at the Ben Franklin Health District, and it's kind of a quick and dirty test, but it does allow us to detect the toxins. If we detect the toxins, 
we can send it off to another lab that will um, essentially quantify it better for us. But um, our testing does provide a quick and dirty test to make sure that the, the waters are safe to swim in. Well, Jim Coleman, a climate effects specialist with the Benton Franklin Health District, very interesting information, very worthwhile and important information as we get ready to enter the summer season and enjoy our climate around here in the community. Our thanks to Jim and all our guests from the Health District tonight, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week. This program has been paid for by the Cadillac Foundation.